Now back to Guadney Unplugged with the former lifeguard at the Murray Lock and Dam, your host, Scott Romine. Hey, we're talking with Andrea Fisher. She's the founder and president of Hearts of Our Heroes, and that is a 501c3 here in Arkansas, and you basically help out Gold Star families. You pick up where the government ends, I guess, technically, correct? Correct, yes. We help our military families of the fallen in the state um, with a lot of different resources and support that, like you said, they may not be able to get from the government or from the military. So we just want to make sure they have that holistic support for anything that they needed in their life. And this was totally inspired by your grandfather. It was, yes. Yes. So my, my grandfather was, um, he served in World War II uh, in the U.S. Army, and he was actually captured as a prisoner of war. And um, Was he a pilot or a... He wasn't. He was just infantry. They were okay. in Northern Africa, and his whole platoon was captured, taken to, it was a German POW camp called O-Flag 64, but it was actually located in Zubin, Poland. And so he was held there for 26 months. And it's an officer camp, and he said that probably the reason he stayed alive is because he could speak German. So he was able to speak between the officers and those that were held prisoner. How did he know German? He learned that in school and he actually was born and raised in Iowa. So, and we're a German, our ancestors are German and English. So he had the German background and he just knew enough to be able to communicate with the officers. Who did he fight under? Like Patton or, you know, because I follow all this. I've read a lot about World War II. That's just fascinating. It is. And they actually tried to escape three times and he was on the death march. Um, one of the 500 that survived um, and they finally were able to rescue him from his POW camp. He kept a journal the entire time, which I have. And when I moved to Arkansas, there wasn't anything that really um, supported or recognized our former POWs and those that were still considered missing in action. And so I coordinate the ceremony every year at the state Capitol to make sure that we continue to honor them so that they aren't forgotten. You need to write a book. I, I plan to. I do, actually. I've had that asked several times. And when I've done the research, the... POW camp that he was held in is actually still in existence and the community there, they're very peaceful, great, great community. They've actually preserved what's left of that POW camp and um, the app people will actually go there and tour it to find the history and to see what happened there. And when I did the research, one of the bunkers, the only bunker that is left is the one that my grandfather was actually held captive in. And so it's the only one standing. So it's on my bucket list. You've got to do <laughs> to, that. To travel because I want to stand on the ground that he stood on and feel those walls that he was confined to for over two years and just really absorb that visit the community you know see what he saw take pictures and combine that with his journal and and you know all the different experiences and put that into a book so others can can really remember the history because you know so many of them are, are dying they're not here anymore and that's yeah. the only way that we we can continue that history and those stories is by communicating that and sharing it with others are you old enough to remember him or did he tell stories or anything like that? He actually passed away when I was 13 or 14 okay. years old and I did not fully realize what he had endured and what he had been through. So he didn't talk about it a whole lot. Um, he, when he, and the, the crazy ironic thing is when he was brought back to the United States, he was actually brought back to Fort Smith. And even though he's from Iowa, he was brought back to Fort Smith and was actually put in charge of our prisoners of war. So it was kind of, it was almost a slap in the face because he was held as a prisoner of war. Then he came back here and was guarding the prisoners of war. But wow. he did share a little bit with family, just kind of some of the memories. Um, we have his uniform, we have his journal, we have different things from him. There's, you know, some stories that 
he won't eat another potato in his life. He would never touch another potato because that's their primary meal was potatoes. It's all and, they had. And worms. Yeah. So he never ate potatoes ever again. And I've gotten some history and some of the stories from my mom that she's heard and told. But I was unfortunately too young to really realize what he went through to be able to sit down and have that conversation to really understand what he went through and experienced. So before you establish uh, Hearts of Our Heroes, You've been in the corporate world. You've done all of these other things. Kind of tell tell me about your background. Yeah, so I, it's kind of funny because my undergrad is in zoology, completely off of what I'm <laughs> that's doing. That's a little different, yeah. <laughs> but I do have a love for animals, and that's something that I was oh, always yeah. very interested in. But I did, I was working for, I was in uh, several management positions with T-Mobile, the Walmart Home Office, Tyson Foods, but I was volunteering a lot on the military side and supporting the military. What can we do for them? I was a member of the Patriot Guard, so just did a lot of with our military and veterans, and I decided, you know, this, this corporate world really wasn't for me. It's not, it's, it, they were great companies, a great culture and a great support. And I got a lot of networking out of it and connections, but my heart said, I've got to do something more. And so, um, I wasn't able to enlist in the military due to health conditions. So I found another way I volunteered. I signed up with the USO and I got employed with the USO. I deployed with them as a department of defense civilian and I traveled to Balad, Iraq, and I was there for a little over a year managing their two duty centers there for our service members. Did you leave the base at all? I mean, that had been very eye opening. I did. To be there. Oh, you did. <laughs> yes. I wasn't supposed to. Civilians were not supposed to leave, but when you've got, you know, all the people and the different connections I did, I, I traveled to uh, Missoula and Merez and we went to um, traveling to Baghdad. Dad. So we were able to go to different areas. Um, I went to LSA and Kuwait quite often because that's how we went in and out of the country. So I was able to see a lot of the different country area where they were serving. And it was definitely eye-opening. It was definitely um, a different culture and um, it's just a different experience. And you just have a, a, a much better respect and understanding of what our service members endure while they're over there. Because I wasn't even on the front lines. I wasn't in combat, but I saw a lot of things and heard a lot of things and experienced things that I even brought home with me too. So it's, it was very eye opening, but it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Tell me when you had the big boys with the big guns with you when you went out. (laughs) Oh, we did. We did. We were completely covered everywhere. We were, um, our base was actually nicknamed Mortaritaville because we would get (laughs) murdered so much. Yeah. So, you know, we, we were taking cover a lot. We went to the bunkers. So we had all that, in, you know, kind of ingrained in us and what we were supposed to do. But we did have a lot of protection when we went out because they were very, very careful making sure that we were safe. My dad went over there as a civilian, was there probably a year and a half. And even doing a civilian job, just it changes you, I it believe. Does. Just the experience of that. It does. Very much sticks with you. It does because technically we're on, I mean, it was an Iraqi military base, but it was, you know, it was managed by the army so there was still that that feel of americanism there and that support but you're in a different country it's a different culture it's a different environment and so you really have to respect that as well and but i was able to meet so many amazing people friends and and people that i still stay in contact with to this day and they're some of the best friends that i've got so it's that that brotherhood and that sisterhood even as a civilian going over there you really create a bond what was it like driving for miles and not seeing a family dollar <laughs> well for around here it's like you, you don't have any walmarts what do you have where do you go <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's very very limited and the funny thing is is um it's amazing what you can and cannot get over there because i am an avid dr pepper drinker oh yeah and i love um it's jamoka almond fudge ice cream from 31 flavors 
I thought, okay, while I'm over there, there's no way I'm getting any of this. That's not going to happen. At the DFAC, they had six flavors from Baskin Robbins, and they had Dr. Pepper. So they I was a very happy girl. six of the 31. And that was my flavor. <laughs> it was oh, the you got lucked out. Yeah, so we did. And they had, we had some, uh, a lot of Filipino um, people that worked there, and they were able to get like whole hogs. So they would do barbecues. And oh. They would, they'd barbecue the whole hogs in the ground. Um, they did big parties and, and, you know, fiestas inviting everybody. But then the next day you couldn't get chapsticks. So it was just very odd. <laughs> very <And> different. <laughs> you just had to adapt. You know, you, you take what you got. Um, I, and I I see why a lot of those care packages and the gifts are so valuable. Yes. Because it's, it is such a hit and miss. Some areas you're very fortunate. You have access to a lot of things. There's some that are a lot more remote. You're going to be very limited. So, you know, just having those variety of those care packages, it really touches home. <laughs> what was the first person that sparked it in you? I've got to create something to help these people. What's the first case that did it? Well, when I worked at Tyson Foods, I had two experiences. When I worked at Tyson Foods, there was a, a lady that I worked with and her son was serving in the Marine Corps. And it just so happened he was in Afghanistan when I went to Iraq. And when I was over in Iraq, I found out that he had been killed and um, really got a different feeling being on that end because I wasn't able to attend the funeral. I wasn't able to do any kind of support being so far away, but it really kind of it was more of a reality check just because of where I was at and, and how real it is that, yes, we have a lot of men and women that are serving and, and, and dying and passing away for us. And um, I think so many people just start seeing them as a number or statistic or, oh, it's just the way of life, but it's a reality and it affects these people at home. Um, when I worked at Walmart home office, there was a family who lost her husband in Iraq and I didn't even know her personally. We went to her house to clean her house. We took care of her yard, mowed it just to make sure she was taken care of. Um, I stood at the funeral and that was the first time as a Patriot Guard writer, I stood in front of protesters at the funeral. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to see what the family was enduring and then turn around and seeing the protesters that they, the family should not have to be dealing with, but they're also allowed that right because of that service member sacrifice. And so just those two experiences really kind of hit home. Yeah. Um, a lot more. And I, I did not expect to work with our, our, our military families of the fallen until I did return. Uh, I, I accept a position with survivor outreach services and I've, I've worked with them since 2013 and really seen the need and desire for the support and how much they want and that they feel that connectivity. So it, it started a long time ago, several years ago before getting to where I am now. So we were just talking about, you had to deal with these protesters. That is just such a strange thing that that exists. It, it really is. And it, it's unfortunate because, you know, we have to respect that they have their opinions and their thoughts. Sure. And that's why our service members do what they do. But it's, you know, it's not an appropriate time for them to do that. It's just, you know, it's, it's just really, it was really surreal to see that on, I look forward, I look ahead of me and I see this family that's grieving the loss of a husband, a son, a father. And then I have people behind me that are, are shouting and telling them that, you know, what their service member was doing was wrong. And, and, and so it's just, um, it was just, it was a very sad feeling that, that yeah. it was that environment for the family that was grieving so, such a huge loss. I can't imagine that existed in World War II. No, I don't think it did because I don't, because I, I think it was a different environment. So it was a different culture, you know, that those that, that were either drafted or signed up back then, it's, they felt that was part of their duty. That was part of what they were supposed to do. And everyone kind of accepted it. And that's, you know, right. that's that sense of freedom and why they are where they are. And they were a little bit more grateful for that. Um, and I think 
the country came together a little bit more as a whole to support that for longer. I mean, obviously, when everything started, 9-11 stuff, you know, we all rallied together. But war doesn't just end in six months or a year. It no. can take a long no. time. And then over time, people start you know, having different views and changes and going on with their lives, especially for those that may not be affected by the military. They have a different perspective, which is fine, but it's kind of gone, you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. They don't think about that, that we are still enduring a lot of evil out there. We still have threats. We still need that security and those service. And until they're actually a part of the military or lose somebody or, or um, have someone that signs up for the military, it, it kind of, it changes their perspective and it kind of changes. Okay. This is a different way of life. Yeah. So many people give so much. I just can't imagine that everybody's free to have their point of view, but that one I don't comprehend. Yeah. It's very hard. It's very hard. It's, it was hard. I've had, I had a lot of people that would stay in the line. They're like, and you know, they just really had a lot of thoughts that they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe these people would actually have the audacity to be here and to treat families and treat their you know their community members this way surprised there's not some biker groups that have something to say about that oh there's quite a few (laughs) (laughs) there's quite a few (laughs) that's what the patriot guard is for we you know we we ride our motorcycles or we'll cage it in in cars but that's what we do is we stand uh, originally you know we stand just respect the veteran and the family but also to serve as an escort and protection for that family and so if that way we're allowing them that chance to grieve and to process the loss. And so we don't want anybody outside to take that away from them and, and to be an issue for them. So we line our bikes up, we line our flags, we line us up and we'll like protect that it. family. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a motorcycle nut. What do you ride? Oh, I don't have one right now. Oh, I had, that's just sad. <laughs> yeah. I had two before I went to Iraq and then I got another one when I came back. But right now I don't currently have one, so I have to cage it. <laughs> you can ride one of mine. <laughs> Yeah, it's just uh, so uh, it's it's cool that you you've obviously you've got the uh, hearts of our heroes, but you got to fund that in some way. Do you yes. have recurring fundraisers? We um, well, our our organization is still relatively new. We're just a little over a year old, but we do have quite a bit of support from the community. Different military and veteran organizations will donate. We have a lot of different um, some individuals and businesses that are continue are starting to get interested in supporting because there's a lot of people that want to give back and they may not want to give back just to do the normal top five organizations. They want to do somebody um, help support somebody that's local that's going to come back into our state, and so bringing more awareness and education on the families that are in need in the community and what we do to provide that support to them. It's, it's starting to bring a lot of buzz that, okay, now this is how I can get involved. This is how, how I can help. Let's give back to these families. When we say give back to families, tell me specifically some things that the organization does for these gold star families. Well, one of the big components, there's two main components to the organization. The first one is we want to make sure that they, uh, if they need financial help, whether it's utilities or bills, groceries, house repairs, when we have a natural disasters, if we, you know, tornado, the floods, making sure, do you have damage to your health? Do you need a generator? Are you good on food? Do you have power? Do you have heat? Um, And we have some that, you know, sometimes they just endure some hard times. Do you need help with utilities? Do you need help with gas, the price of gas, especially going through COVID, all the prices go crazy. Mm-hmm. So we just want to make sure that they are financially okay um, throughout everything. Um, so we do that. We help with them. Um, specifically, we have a Gold Star wife whose roof was leaking. Um, we were able to partner with a national nonprofit to replace the roof and the siding. Oh, that's great. Because of the leakage, though, 
there's black mold damage inside of her house. Uh, so now it's, what do you do next? We need to replace them, get the house fixed because she's been living in this unsafe, unhealthy environment. So now working with more organizations and other donors to get funding to help her re- make those repairs. So just things that come up that, you know, family dynamics, family situations that a lot of people may endure. We just want to make sure that they know that they have a constant resource to come to. Hey, we're talking with Andrea Fisher. If you're just joining us, she has Hearts of Our Heroes, a nonprofit here in Arkansas. Would people be surprised how much or how little the government does themselves? Say if you lose a family member, is there anything in place or is it? There is. There is there is a lot of support in place, but it also, the... There's a lot that goes into the factoring of who receives what uh, what benefits. So okay. it depends on the duty status. It depends on, um, you know, if it's service connected. So Arkansas being a garden reserve state, um, there's, you know, we don't have quite as much of a uh, active duty component, especially in like on the Army side. So there's a lot of families and the military does the best that they can with some of the benefits. But there's certain family members like parents, very limited on they don't have benefits. So if ah. you have a parent that's raising a grandchild, they're going from grandma back to parent, that child may be receiving some benefits, but it's not it's not the support that they would be getting if that service member was, you know, still living with them. So there are supports um, to an extent. It just depends on the the factors surrounding the death. You've had, uh, you spoke yesterday at the uh, Sherwood Chamber of Commerce. Yes. You, and you've had some people speak. And uh, one lady, actually her husband had died of, of cancer, but I yes. guess while he was in the military, you were able, able to help her in some way. He was, yes, he died, he he got cancer. He was diagnosed with cancer from the burn pits. And so um, he was exposed to the burn pits while he was deployed, came back home, very aggressive cancer, died within six months. And so oh. I've you know, been able to help her and her family, um, sometimes with food and utilities. And she went back to school to make, you know, make sure that she has she can continue to give back to other families as well. So she had a, pur- a new purpose. Um, but yeah, we've helped her with groceries and some other things and just connecting with other survivors and families that you know, that have that connection and understand that same type of loss. And that's a big, huge thing with our families is just being able to connect with others that understand what they've gone through. Let's talk about your annual programs, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. You guys yes. kick in on a lot of this stuff. We do just, you know, and a lot of our moms and our dads that have lost somebody, they may still have other children, um, but we want to recognize them on those days because Valentine's Day, the spouse, if you know, if their if their loved one passed away, we send them some flowers or candies or oh, something just to, just to know that we're thinking about them. And then we make sure there is a Gold Star Moms Day, there's a Gold Star Families Weekend, but there's not a Gold Star Dads Day. So for Father's Day, we're taking them all the dads to a travelers game. So just to recognize them that you know, just because their loved one isn't there, we're still going to make sure that they're recognized on all the, you know, the normal annual holidays that they do. Um, so siblings, children, because a lot of times the siblings are kind of put on the wayside. When you think of a survivor, a lot of people say, oh, the wife or the children. There's a lot of siblings. Yeah, and that's true. they've lost their best friend. If, you know, they've known them all their lives and now that person is gone. So we want to make sure that all of the family members are included and recognized. Uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Yes. You doing meals or what we are you do. doing there? We do. For Thanksgiving and Christmas, we make sure we do a, a food box. So we do just general food, especially because a lot of the kids, maybe if they have younger kids, they're out of school. Um, so we help with the food. But we also make sure that they have a full meal to make that holiday meal. So a turkey, ham, all the fixings on the sides and desserts. And then for Christmas, we add in a gift program. And so any of the children, the families that need help with gifts, um, 
um, especially even some of the, the grandparents and the parents that, you know, just maybe they need something for their house. And so we're going to surprise them with a treat. Maybe they're, we had a family there, the TV in the family room went out. So we bought them a TV as a family so they could still enjoy watching TV. So oh, that's great. whatever the needs are, we just make sure that we've, we had a family that didn't have anything, a Christmas tree or anything. So we decorated their house. We got them a Christmas tree. We got them the gifts. We got them the stockings because we want them to have that experience. We don't want them to miss out on holidays. How could someone find Hearts of Our Heroes? The website, phone number, how could they donate and be involved? We do. We have a website, heartsofourheroes.org. Um, it's still kind of in the works, making sure we've got all the information on there. My cell phone is 918 812 2957. Everybody can text or call me. Um, they can send us a note through the face, uh, either through Facebook or the website to get in touch with us because we always need volunteers. We always need donations and sponsors. We thank welcome you. all support. Well, thank you so much for being on Guatney Unplugged. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.